Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday morning worship. Won't you stand and join us as we worship this morning? Thank you. 
prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones, they came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons of flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slaves that they may live. morning, everybody. Like I said, always, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. To give him praise, glory, and honor. Amen. So online, for those that are with us today, I want you, if you want to go and give, you go to uh, Tithe, go to www.bridge.com and go to give. For those that's visiting with us today, there's uh, cards we have for visitors so we can know that you have visited with us so we can keep a, keep a count. And we have a little blue box back here on the table. For anybody that wants to tie, you tie back there. Is there any praise or prayer request that anybody have? Anybody got any praise reports? I got a praise report. My mama's sitting right there. You can't get no better than that. Okay, remember Hugh. Anybody else got any? I have a work done. I don't know the baby's name, but she was getting out, uh, giving the baby a bath, and she slipped, and the baby's head hit the floor. Ooh. Baby. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, let's let's keep them in prayer as well. Um, anybody else have anything? Uh, Ashley. Oh, she Ashley. shy. Today marks uh, 10 years I've been seizure free. 
tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I got a phone call yesterday um, from a manager from Ocean Isle uh, Fish Company. Um, I got a job there for hosting, so I start tomorrow at four. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Let's uh, let's keep uh, Miss Sheila and Jean in our prayers as well. And, uh, and uh, let's keep Adam. Adam came to practice this morning. It's not funny, but he came to practice this morning. He did a lot of irrigation work yesterday in his yard, and so he's feeling kind of rough. But after our first song of practice this morning, about eight forty-five, his back went out. Of oh man! So he 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 was he couldn't really move. He went down to the the carpet and lay down, and Christy came and picked him up. So we need to keep oh, yes, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, let's uh, let's let's definitely do that. Um, let's keep Miss Minnie in our prayers. Let's keep like Billy, he's not here. Let's keep him in our prayers. Those just not with us, couldn't make it. Let's keep them in our prayers also. Um, matter of fact, let's go to prayer. Do Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to come to your house, Lord, to praise you and honor you, Lord, and glorify you. And, Lord, we send up our petition of our family, Lord, before you, Lord. We ask that you take that petition, Lord, and honor it, Lord, and, and glorify it according to your will, Lord, and your wishes. And uh, also we ask that you be with the pastor, Lord, as he comes and brings the message, Lord. Open our hearts, our ears, and our minds, Lord, to receive you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms, Psalm number 138, Psalm number 138. Psalm number 138. I want to read verses 1 through 3, and then... Down to verse number 7. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Psalm number 138, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Verse number 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Father, we are so blessed beyond measure this morning to be able to declare that you are faithful. We praise you that we know assuredly today that you are the great physician that Hugh and Adam need in their lives right now. You're the God who touches and heals. We give you praise that you have laid your healing hand upon Carl Tyner's body and Miss Sheila. We praise you for revealing yourself to us in the person of your son. We thank you, God, for visiting us, dwelling with us, living with us, and loving us. We shout a hallelujah that you still cause dead men to live and blind men to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. You're still in the business of saving old sinners like me. And God, we are so grateful that you have penned and prescribed, preserved this word to fall into our hands that it find its way into our hearts for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. To, to get to where I think God would have us to go, as with many passages of Scripture, when you lift a few verses out of a text, you don't want to do damage to the context in which they're found. You don't really get a grasp of the context of the text before us 
through examining Psalm 138 alone. And so I want to take a few moments just to put the text in its context. I like the way one Bible scholar put it in the past. A text without a context is no more than a pretext. So we want to understand something about the context that surrounds the psalmist as he pens this hymn, this song in the Hebrew hymn book. The author or the human agent that God divinely inspired to pen this text is none other than King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David was a prophet, a psalmist, a king, a man that God to be declared to be a man after his own heart. Certainly there's much that we could learn from the life of David. David has also been called a warrior king. David was a warrior from his youth. In fact, he recounts a time to Saul, the king that preceded him, when he was a young boy serving as a shepherd to his father's sheep out in the field. He says to Saul that there was both a lion and a bear that came and took a lamb out of my father's flock. And I went after him and caught him by the beard and took the lamb out of his mouth. And I slew both the lion and the bear. David knew something about battle. He was a warrior king. We're all familiar with the great story of David and his victory over the Philistine, the giant named Goliath. A man who was nine foot, six inches tall. As close to bulletproof or ten foot tall and bulletproof as you can get. And how David in the strength and the power and by the grace of God with a slingshot and a river rock gained victory over this giant named Goliath. And it was in that moment that Saul, King Saul of Israel, saw this warrior spirit inside of David and made him a commander over his armies. Saul went out to war, led his, the armies of Israel out to war against the Philistines. Saul leads one force and David leads another. They defeat the Philistines and as they come back to Israel from the battlefield, the women begin to sing and dance and shout. And their song is this. Saul has slain his thousands. David, his ten thousands. David 
was a warrior king. And it bids us ask and answer the question, where are those warriors anymore? God doesn't call sissies, he calls soldiers. He doesn't call wimps, he calls warriors. This is not just an Old Testament concept. The Apostle Paul penned to a up-and-coming pastor, young Timothy, and told Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Where have all the warriors gone? Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. David knew something about war and bloody battles. But David also was familiar with the wounds of war. That is, you're probably not much of a soldier if you go through life and never get wounded. David was the greatest warrior to ever sit on the throne of Israel. And if you study his life and his history as penned in 2 Samuel and Chronicles and Kings, you'll find that many, many times David was wounded. That's the context of this text. David, according to verse number 7, the context is David needed revival. David needed God to deliver him and to rescue him. He had been wounded or he would not have needed revival. You see, David also understood that warriors sometimes have wounds that cut much deeper than the flesh in the physical body. I don't think that his need for revival, his need for God's protection deliverance, God's restoration and rescue was because of a physical wound that he had experienced. I believe that Psalm number 139 falls in context with another psalm he penned in Psalm 55, where in verse number 12, he is divinely inspired to put pen to paper and scribe these words. It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. 
Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I could have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my God and mine acquaintance or my friend. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in company. That is the context of the text where David says he declares I'm in need of revival. The scars that I'm carrying aren't visible to the external eye. But if you could x-ray my soul, you could find sorrow and pain like I've never experienced before. David said, what really is bothering me? What has cut me to the very core of my soul is that my own son Absalom has led a rebellion against me. Absalom decided he was going to dethrone David, his dad. And he mustered up a group of people to support him and follow him. And he led in the rebellion, the mutiny against King David. And what cut David was that it was not only the betrayal of his son, but even his closest friends, those that he had went to war with in previous battles, had turned their backs on David and hooked up with Absalom. David says that's what really broke my heart and brought me to this place that I need revival. Now, I believe it's in that same context that David learned the lesson and penned the words in Psalm number 34. In verse number 19, David said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. In other words, if you determine to live righteously, you can expect rebellion to follow. If you determine to live for God, you can expect an attack from the ungodly. Paul was familiar with this concept. He pinned to that same young pastor Timothy, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, let's just bring that home a little bit. What that means is, if you determine to live for God, you're going to war. If you determine to live godly, 
You don't have to go out and look for a fight. A fight will find you. Paul wants Timothy and each and every one of us to understand and to know that this idea of modern-day, comfortable, convenient, complacent Christianity is foreign to the concept of the Bible. That if you join the army of God, you can expect a war is coming. And it doesn't matter how much courage you have. It does not matter how strong you are physically or spiritually. If you stay in a war long enough, you're going to get wounded. Let me, let, I wasn't planning on going here, but it's a good place to stop and pause a minute and hit rewind and just say this. Some of you need to get your feelings off of your shoulders. When you determine to live for God, you can expect a battle to come. Now, we have talked about James Coates in the past. The pastor from... Alberta, Canada, who was imprisoned because he would not shut down his church, close the doors, and stop preaching the gospel. Now, he was imprisoned, but I, I pointed out to you that two weeks ago, he was charged $1,500 fine and released, and the government understanding or believing that if they let him go and find him big enough, he'd stop preaching and shut the doors. Well, guess where he was come next Sunday morning? He was standing behind the pulpit and he was preaching. Now, this past Wednesday night, what you may not know is that during the night, this past Wednesday, after we left Bible study, the police and security and the health inspectors shut up, put chains on the doors, and literally built a fence around his church. The health department made a public statement announcing it had an, I quote, physically closed Grace Life Church and has prevented access to the building. Listen to this. Please don't miss this. Until Grace Life Church can demonstrate the ability to comply with Alberta's chief medical officer, of health restrictions. Now what you need to understand is this has nothing to do with safety. This is all about subjection and submission. You have some power-hungry politicians that have tasted a little bit of control and it's gone to their head and they're going to do what they can to shut this church down. Now, that doesn't seem to disturb some of y'all. Maybe it's because that's across the border in Canada. Can I remind you how close Canada actually is? 
You get outside of New York, you just cross a river and you're in Canada. But that concept, that mentality, that power hunger, that the thirst for authority, it's already crossed the river. This Friday, John MacArthur and Grace Church in Los Angeles, California will be back in court for the same reason because they resisted shutting down and closing their services because of a government mandate. Listen, listen, we, we need to understand we're living in a time when the church is under attack. The problem is, is most Christians don't realize they're in a war. R.E. Winsett in 1956 penned these words. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saved from the chastening rod, Christians, it's time to awake. If that hymn was necessary to remind Christians in 1956, then certainly it's pertinent to you and I today. I hope we're all on the same page here this morning. And that is we're in agreement that there is a war going on. The question is, are you going to engage in the battle? Are you going to stand your ground? What if they would have charged you $1,500 for coming to church on a Sunday morning? What if, what if here in good old Brunswick County, North Carolina, they show up and handcuff you with a shiny silver pair of bracelets and escort you down to the Brunswick County Detention Center? I wonder, I just wonder, Miss Joan, I'm, I'm curious as to if we would have shown up at church this morning and found chains on our doors and a fence around our building, would we have worshipped or went back to the house? Troublesome times are here. Freedoms we all hold dear now are at stake. David is penning this song from a wounded spirit. What he needs is revival in his soul. Rescue from his God. And to continue walking worthy when wounded. 
You see, it's, it's easy to walk worthy for God when you're not getting shot at. It's easy to walk worthy and live righteously and godly amongst a bunch of Christian church folk on Sunday morning. But what about at Walmart on a Thursday afternoon? You see, when you get out on the front lines, you will be wounded. The question is, how do you maintain a worthy walk while you're wounded? That's where David is. Wouldn't you like to know? Good, I'm going to tell you. You see, in order to walk worthy in the war while you're wounded requires certain things from you, and it might really surprise you what they are. First, let me say this. I don't find anywhere in this text where David says anything about debating pagans on Facebook. I don't see anything in this text where he's pitting Republicans against Democrats. I don't see anything where he's choosing sides of this party or that group of people. No, the first thing that David does is he begins to praise God. I'm afraid that we've lost sight of the practicality and the power of our praise. Notice David says in verse number one, in times when he needs revival, restoration, and rescue, he says, this is what I'll do. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. David says, here's how I'm going to win this war. I'm going to win this war in my worship. Now, worship... Well, that's easy to do until you're wounded. You see, when you're wounded, you've got to make a conscious decision, a choice to praise God because when you're wounded, you might not feel like it. But worship ain't about how you feel. It's what you do in your will. David said, I will, I choose, I decide that I'm going to praise God. You see, we make that choice not only on Sunday, but every day of our lives. Some of you showed up at church this morning. All of us showed up with a decision to make. Will I shout? Or will I pout? 
Come on. The choice is yours, but it's a choice that has to be made in this war against your worship. The enemy doesn't care if we gather together. What disturbs the enemy, what he wants to shut down, is God receiving your praise and your worship. Hey, you can't chain worship up. You can't put a fence around and contain the praises of God's people. And David said, I choose, I decide, I make the conscious choice that no matter what's going on around me, worship is going to take place in me and it's going to come out of me. It's a choice. It's it's a, a decision that you're going to shout instead of pout. You, you see, I've, I've noticed and I've learned that some people think worship is a spectator sport. That, that is, they show up to be entertained by the praise band. They... they they show up and they sit and they sour and they soak. And then some show up and they show up to shout. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. <laughs> you, you've got a choice to make in this war on worship. And that is, will you hang your head or lift your hands? Will you hang your head or raise a hallelujah? David said, I'll not hang my head. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. I will praise thee. Amen. Now, since some of you can't seem to figure it out and give God a good shout this morning, let me, let me, let me say that Worshiping when you're wounded, when your worship is under attack, requires discipline. What I mean is, did you notice how and from where David declared he would praise the Lord? I will praise thee with my whole heart. Now, I'm not one, as you know, for changing or moving around or manipulating the word of God. But I would like to point out what he did not say. He did not say, I'll praise thee with half my heart. Or a section of my heart. Or a corner of my heart. Worship, praise, when you're wounded, requires discipline. Now, David has not been revived. He's not been relieved. He's not been rescued. He's still surrounded by problems. And yet he said... Though I walk in the midst of trouble, 
I will praise thee with my whole heart. Now, if David, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, determined it was necessary to specify the completeness of his heart in worship, there must be a point and a purpose behind the declaration. Amen. And I think that is this. Problems and pain have a way of causing us to compartmentalize our praise. What I mean is, is we'll stick this, this problem over here in the corner of our heart. And then we'll, we'll stuff some praise in there too. In another little recess over in the corner. And then we'll take this problem... And we'll stuff it down there in our heart also. And pretty soon, there's so much junk in the heart, God can't get anything but half-hearted praise out of it. That's better preaching than I'm getting credit for. David determined... He would not allow his problems and his pain to crowd out his praise. You see, here's the reality of it. The more praise you pack in, the, more, the less room problems and pain have to reside. David understood God's worthy of wholehearted, total, complete praise with no Preoccupations whatsoever. Yeah. Fix what? I can't fix it. I can take it. <laughs> David understood that praise, when it's in war, can be crowded out through problems. David just declares, I will worship God with my whole heart. Could, could I ask you something this morning? Why would you show up on a Sunday and worship God with any less than your whole heart? If you take your vehicle to a mechanic shop to get brakes put on, would you settle for brakes on half your car? But you think God's going to settle for worship out of half your heart? Would you settle if you went to Burger King and you got it half your way someday. <laughs> then, then why, why do you think God will settle for half of your heart in worship? This afternoon, Lord, give me time and make me able. I'm going to wash my truck. I ain't going to wash half my truck. I'm going to watch all of it. So I want to know when you show up at 
church on a Sunday morning, did you come to go all out in your praise? All in in your worship? Or are you going to settle and sit back and sour and soak while somebody else does your shouting for you, does your singing for you, does your praising and your worshiping for you? Jesus declared that if these won't praise me, the rocks will cry out. I'm listening, listen. Boy, there's some some worship going on down at the gravel pit this morning. You go to the quarry up in the mountains and there's some rocks crying out. I don't know about you, but I'm not giving them my praise. I'm not giving them my worship. It's too important. It's imperative. And God is worthy of worship from the whole of the heart. Well, that's how we're supposed to worship. Now the question is, how do you know if that's the way you're worshiping? I mean, if I'm to worship God with my whole heart, can I analyze my praise? Can I dissect my worship experience, compare it with Scripture, and determine what kind of praise God is receiving when I worship Him? Well, sure you can, or I wouldn't have brought up the question. (laughs) So, I want you to listen as David describes his heart-filled worship of God. Verse number two. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name. For thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. David reveals three distinct characteristics that if you analyze them and evaluate your worship in light of them it'll answer the question are you giving God worship from half your heart or do you praise him with your whole heart remember David's describing a worship experience With the whole heart. Notice first, if you examine your heart in regards to the temple. Boy, it got real quiet right there. I bet there's not a lot of amens and thumbs up on Facebook right now. I will worship toward the holy temple. Could I say it this way without straining the text? David said, I'm going to turn my heart and my face toward the house of God. And that's the position, that's the focus that I'll worship with. Now here's the peculiar thing about that declaration. It literally expresses David's faith 
his belief in the promises of God. In case you're not aware of this, the temple did not exist when David sang this song. In fact, the temple was not even built in the lifetime of David. It was his son Solomon who would follow in his footsteps and build the house of God, the temple, in Jerusalem. And yet David says, not I will go in your temple because it didn't exist, but I'll turn and praise you toward the temple. Now, we know that God had told David, promised David, that the temple would be built through David's son. And as soon as David gets this news, he starts a savings account. And he starts, oh, I'm getting your pocketbook now. I, I really ain't going there. <coughs> but he starts banking up treasure and resources and gold and silver to finance the building project of the temple. And I can almost assume in my sanctified imagination that maybe, maybe even he had some blueprints drawn up. Maybe, maybe David is thinking of those blueprints and that picture of the house of God when he declares to the God of heaven, I will praise you toward your temple, toward your house. Now, why is that important? And why would David make such a declaration? Well, I believe because those who love the God of the house will have a love for the house of God. Solomon, David's son, when the temple was built, when, when it was erected and established and, and when it was dedicated to the Lord, he said these words to the nation of Israel, it was in David, my father's heart, to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Wow, what a testimony. For a son to say about his father, the one thing I know about my daddy. Yeah, he was a warrior king. He was the greatest king to sit on the throne of Israel. He was a man that God said was a man after his own heart. But Solomon says, what I want you to know about my daddy is he had a, ha a heart for the house of God. What a testimony. Amen. No wonder, no wonder Solomon went on to build the temple. Could I ask you something? I mean, just kind of get up in your grill and get in your business this morning whether you're here or at home, how do your children and your family see the condition of your heart as it relates to the house of God? You see, you can't hardly talk about how much you love the God of the house if you have no love for the house of God. 
That was the place that God put his name in Israel to be worshipped and remembered. That was the place that the glory of God came down in all of the Shekinah glory and set up residence in the Holy of Holies. That was the place that God's people went to meet God and God came down to meet with his people. David worshipped with a heart for the house of God. Amen. No wonder he penned, I was glad... Not mad, but glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Does it make you glad when that alarm clock goes off on Sunday morning? You see, here's the problem. I think with much of our worship today is people go to church for a lot of reasons. You see, some folks show up at church because, well, because they go because they're guilty. Uh, what I mean is they're guilted into it. Anybody ever go to church because you was guilted into going? Preachers, I, I'm good at trying to guilt people into going to church. But listen to me. If you're going because somebody guilted into it, you into it, you're going for the wrong reason. You just well stay at home. If the reason that you're going is because somebody made you feel guilty about not showing up. Now, now my wife guilted me into going to church forever. Until I got born again. But, but you see, I go now because it makes me glad. I, I go now because I'm happy to be in the house of God. Amen. David said, I will praise thee and I will, I will praise toward the temple. He had a heart for the temple. But not only did he have a heart for the temple, David had a heart for truth. N notice he says, I will worship toward thy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness. Boy, I like that, don't you? I was talking to all of you. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, when I read my Bible, I understand God places great value on his name. He forbids humanity to take his name in vain, to use it in an unworthy manner. He, he places great value on his name. He utilizes his name in the Old Testament to reveal his character and his attributes to his people. That is, there's things that you can learn in the Old Testament just simply by understanding something about the names of God. I wish I had time to preach on the names of God. But he's Jehovah Jireh. He's Elohim. He's Jehovah Raphael. He is I am that I say I am. And throughout the Old Testament, 
He reveals his attributes and his character through his name. But the psalmist, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says that God has magnified his word above his name. He's elevated his word to a position of even greater greatness than his name. And I believe that's because of this. I, I don't want to try to diminish or, or undermine the, the power in that name above all names. But I believe it's because there's only so much we can learn about him through his name. But his word is a fuller representation of his person and his power. Amen. David is praising him for his word because in his word... He recognizes the presence, the preeminence, and the power, the very person of God. There's a New Testament concept that David probably did not grasp in this prophetic statement. But John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me say this. You can't love the living God, the living Word, without loving the written Word. Because it's through the written Word that we know what we know about the living Word. So David says... I'm going to praise you because you've exalted, you've magnified your word even above your name. The word became flesh, says John, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is equating the Son of God with the Word of God. They're inseparable. They're indivisible. You don't get one without the other. You don't know one without the other. So David says, I'm just going to worship you because of your word. Jesus said to the religious rulers of his day and time, search the scriptures. Search the word. Now all they had was the Old Testament. All they had was Genesis through Malachi. And Jesus says, you need to, you need to go, Bible scholars, you need to go back and search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But it is they that testify of me. Hey, can, can I just say this? If your worship is centered and focused 
in Jesus. And Jesus is preeminent in your praise and your worship. That's worshiping God with a whole heart. That's not coming to God half-heartedly. Problem is, Michael, is that too many of us have set ourselves in the center of worship. That is, we, we worship God as long as we're getting what we think we ought to get from God. We worship Him as the giver rather than just for who He is. Do you understand that if God never gave you another thing, that, that he brought you to himself through Christ on the cross is reason to worship him and adore him and love him and praise him for now and forever and for always. He's worthy to be praised. As he's revealed himself in Christ. I know y'all in a hurry to go home. Y'all ain't got time for no shouting today. I'm going to move on real fast. You see, that, that I don't seem to be helping y'all too much. Uh, but, but I do want to point out there is one more characteristic of wholehearted worship. And that's worship that comes from the heart in the form of a testimony. Worship that comes from the heart in the form of a testimony. Now, D D David, he just, it's almost like he hits a pause button right here. It's almost like he takes his pen off the paper and stops and contemplates just a moment of why it is that he has such a heart filled with worship. And then maybe it clicks, maybe it dawns on him, and he pens verse number 3. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. David is remembering backwards to some time, some place that he cried out of his pain and God answered his prayer and gave him power. David says, I cried, and the, thou answered. I cried, and you not only heard, you reacted. You answered me. Don't be praying like you ain't expecting an answer. David says, there was a time, I, I, I know God's going to do what I said he'd do in verse 7 because of what he did way back yonder. There was a time all I could do was cry. He didn't say pray, he said cry. All I was able to muster up from my soul and my spirit and my heart was tears running down my cheeks. I cried. And you answered me. I don't know about you, but boy, I sure am glad that I got a God who interprets tears. 
may, maybe me and David's the only ones, but I know what it is to pray when I can't seem to get a word out, when I can't put my thoughts into sentences, when I can't seem to voice my complaint, and all that I can do is sit down on my bed and mud bury my face in a pillow and water it with tears. And God says, I hear you, son. Help is on the way. God answered when I cried. Aren't you glad? God understands the language of tears. Well, you'll never know till you get more humble than you are. Till you put away your pride. Till you stop worrying about your makeup running. When your tears start falling. You say, listen, I, I, I know I need to be done. But I just really feel like I need to say this. And I don't mean to be undignified or disrespectful to God or especially to his word. But some prayers ought to be sloppy. up our prayers too much sometimes because we want to pray dignified for everybody else listening and God can't get our whole heart because we're hiding our heart sometimes your tears your prayers ought not only be sloppy they ought to be snotty I said it I didn't mean to be disrespectful I'm just telling you listen to me when's the last time dear friend that you've tasted your tears in your prayer closet. When's the last time you were in a place where you had something to say to God, but you just couldn't get it out verbally? Can you recall a time when your pain was so intense there wasn't words in the human language to describe it? And the best that you could do was cry before God. And he answered you. Well, then if that's the case, let me say this. If you cried and God answered, you ought to give him a shout. If you shed a tear and God interpreted in the language he can understand, you ought to shout a hallelujah this morning. If God heard your pain and responded with power, you ought to give him a happy hallelujah this morning. If God heard your tears in your poverty of sin and answered in Christ on the cross, then you ought to shout glory, glory, glory. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can't. I'm going to tell you why you're struggling, some of you. It's because you can't get your mind around the reality and the fact that God's already answered a prayer you're still praying. Because you're expecting the answer to come in a form and a shape that's in recognition to the way you prayed it. You asked for apples, 
God's giving you oranges. And because you got oranges, you don't recognize the answer. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, me, let me go this way. David said, I cried, you answered, and in your answer you gave me strength. He didn't say, I cried, and you killed Absalom. He did not say, I cried, and you removed the problem. He said, I cried, and you gave me strength to walk through the storm. I cried, and you gave me power to stand when my feet wanted to fall. You see, God is in the business of letting you go through some stuff. Because he knows the answer that you need is not for him to remove the problem. The answer that's going to grow you and stretch you and stretch your faith and mature you and develop you is trusting in his strength to see you through the situation that you're walking through. David said, this is, this is how I worship. This is, this is how I give it all to God. He says, I make a decision to praise him amidst all of the problem and the pain. But I will not allow what's going on around me to set up residence in me. Because what's in me belongs to God and I'm going to give it to him from a whole heart. Praise is a choice. Now I told you I was done, but I got I to gotta come to the reality that David is still surrounded by his enemies. And yet he determines in his spirit, I'm going to listen to what he says. I will praise thee before the gods. Now, that word God, if you'll notice in the text, it's in a little g. In the Hebrew, it's actually Elohim. And it carries several different meanings in the Bible. Most often, of course, Elohim is in reference with a capital E in reference to the true God, the one and only God of the Bible. Somebody say, there ain't no more. He ain't the best one of many. He's the only one, the one and only true God. But at other times, that same word Elohim with a, a lowercase e is representative of angels. And then in other places, it's representative of of or, or it's translated as kings or rulers in the Bible. Now, David's problem is with people, not angels. His problem is with politicians, not God. And so when he says, I will praise thee 
before the Elohim. He's literally saying, I will praise thee before the rulers and the kings. I will praise thee in the presence of mine enemies. Boy, ain't that some good stuff. David says, listen, the way to win this war, it ain't the way you think. You just need to get in your enemy's face and shout to victory. Just get in your enemy's face and give God the glory. Just get in the enemy's face and give him the praise and the honor from a whole heart that he is so worthy of. But pastor, how, how do you do that when you're in the position that David was in? When you're surrounded by your enemies. When the situation is beyond your ability to maintain or manage. How do you work up a shout of acclamation, a voice of praise in the presence of your enemies? Could I remind you that this same psalmist penned that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil. Truly, surely, my cup runneth over. Listen to this. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David said, let me tell you how I praise God in the presence of my enemies. God's laid out a table. He cares for me. He's prepared for me. In the presence of mine enemies. I'm always vision to come this morning. And I want to close this service in a little bit different fashion. Tommy, what are we singing this morning? Lord, I need you. Lord, oh boy, ain't that a good one? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Why why? Why did you show up at church this morning, Miss Susan? Did you show up to sing and shout? Or to sit, soak, and sour? Is the worship that God's receiving from you more like a half-washed car? Or is it coming from the totality of your heart? You, you see, I, I, I have people throw this back at me all the time. Well, God knows my heart. He sure does. And he said it's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Problem is, God does know your heart. Well, preacher, there, there's just no call for all that charismatic, loud screaming and shouting and spitting and sweating. Could I say something to you today? Get off your high horse. Did you know that I read in the final chapters of our Bible that right now there is a great host in heaven, the sound of many waters, a great multitude from every nation under heaven, black, white, pink, orange, polka dot, 
Hispanic, American, Chinese, Portuguese. And they're singing one song. One song. It's the same song the angels were heard singing by the ear of Isaiah. It's not a hard song to learn. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. As we stand to our feet and vision begins to lead us, let us declare that they're not going to entertain us, but that we'll praise God with our whole heart. Join us in worship, will you?
Have your will and your way in each of our lives. God, we're satisfied that, Lord, as we go out into the world this week, we're not afraid. We're not trembling. We're not worrying because there is a war going on. You've won the victory on the cross. Your resurrection has declared us to be victors. So we celebrate your victory today. We love you and praise you and worship you. Lord, just for who you are. We're determined that we don't need another reason to worship you than just because of who you are. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.